You know, I think that most people who tune in to Ray's Sports Rant or reads my blogs on DeanBlendell.com understand that my rhetoric and tirades against the Canadian Football League, also known as the CFL, is intended to be funny. It's for humor. I've had current and former CFL players DM me and tell me that they think my little sports rants about the CFL is hilarious. You know what I'm talking about when I point out that three down football is not real football, how I think it's absolutely ridiculous that wide receivers get a running head start. If I could get a running head start, I could be a wide receiver in professional football. Come on. But see, Toronto Argo fans... The team in the CFL that nobody cares about. Well, you guys decided to come and make it personal with me. And because of that, I now have to destroy your hopes and dreams. So I am a fan of multiple sports teams. As people know, I like the New England Patriots. I like Toronto FC. I like the Toronto Blue Jays, the Toronto Raptors. I like Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga, and I'm learning to like the Toronto Maple Leafs. I am not a fan of the Toronto Argos. I'm not a fan of the CFL. Don't don't kid yourself. Even though my little tongue-in-cheek pokes at the CFL and their fans is intended for humor, I'm not a fan of the CFL. Well, Argo fans are upset because Toronto FC fans don't like that the CFL is ripping up the field. And I see tweets from Argo fans making fun of the MLS, making fun of TFC, making fun of soccer fans, and then some of them having the gall to say, hey, we share a building. Banners should be equal. Everything should be equal in the building. And some CFL reporter out in British Columbia, head of content, who, by the way, I've invited on my podcast to talk about the CFL and convince me why it's not a B-League. Well, he's ghosted me since our, our argument. He had the gall to come out and say that, well, if Toronto FC is so successful, they should just build their own building. All right, so let me educate you uneducated CFL fans, especially the whiny-ass Toronto Argo fans, because you're the fucking worst. BMO Field was built for Toronto FC. It was built for soccer. See, back when BMO was built and Toronto FC started playing there, you were still begging the Toronto Blue Jays to let you stay in the Rogers Center where you would fill up about, I don't know, an eighth of the stadium. Finally, MLSE... And the Toronto FC were like, okay, come, you can use our field. Well, it's natural turf. Football players are tearing it up because that's what happens in football. The World Cup is coming in 2026. FIFA is going to put out a billion-dollar product. And that field is being compromised by an $80 million Canadian. $80 million Canadian. Let me make that clear. Product. And comparing yourself to Toronto FC is ridiculous. First of all, Toronto FC is worth 650 million American. That's almost 800 million Canadian. The Argos are worth 80 million. You talk about how you're sharing a home. Toronto FC's average attendance this year was 25,000 people per game. 
The Toronto Argonauts average attention for this season, 7,000. You are renting a room at BMO Field. Don't act like you own the house as well. And then you talk about the history of the Argos, how long it's been around. Nobody in Toronto cares. I put a poll out today on, on Twitter. Actually, I asked the Dean Blundell Network to put it out. And I asked, if the Argos left Toronto, would you notice? 50% of the responders said definitely not. 31.7% said, what's an Argo? In a measly 17.5% said definitely. Less than 20% of the population of Toronto would notice the Argos leave. That's how irrelevant you are in the landscape of sports. And then you say, hey, you make fun of the CFL because it's not the NFL, but what's the MLS compared to everything else? Let me tell you, because I'm a fan of Bayern Munich. I watched them play in the Champions League. I watched them play in the Bundesliga. I watched them play top flight football. The disparity... The disparity between the MLS and let's say the EPL is not as far as the gap between the CFL and the NFL. A good NCAA team would probably beat the Grey Cup champions. And I do not like going down this road and making fun of the athletes of the CFL because they're still elite athletes. They're just not as elite as the guys who play in the NFL or for the most part, Division One NCAA teams. They're definitely better athletes than me. But the Argo fans who think that the Toronto Argonauts are relevant in the city that cheers for the Leafs, the Raptors, the Blue Jays, and TFC is a joke. The only team the Argos probably have more fans of in Toronto than any of the other teams is the Toronto Rock. I bet you the Toronto Marlies have more of an attendance than the Argos have. But you all made it personal. You all had to go down this road. Lorenzo Insigne could still be playing in one of the top flight teams in Europe. So could Federico Bernadeschi. They're not this washed up player. The CFL gets castaways from players who can't even make an NFL practice squad or washed up players like Chad Ochocinco. And he's like, oh man. And, and, and I get that point. Ochocinco said the league's so fast. Ocho was almost 40 years old. When he came to the CFL, of course it was fast. Everything was fast for Ocho when he was 40. You did this, Argo fans. I didn't want to take a strip off the league. I like to do it tongue-in-cheek, but you forced it down my throat. And how do you feel? Tell me, at DPN underscore Ray, how does it feel that nobody cares about your favorite team? You know... The NFL had the chance to do the right thing. I believe that the NFL was going to be on the right side of history for the first time ever. Fortunately, the NFL did what the NFL does. The impact that they've had on Toronto FC, it, it's undeniable. I understand that you have to defend your quarterback. I understand that you just can't come out and, you know, say, well, you know, we don't want Deshaun anyways. I understand. I get it. I have to do this because I have to appreciate it.
Yes, and we're back. Welcome to Ray Sports Rant. I'm Ray Rudd, sitting in that director's chair of the Dean Blundell Network at DeanBlundell.com. Thanks for everybody who's tuning in to today's show. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure that you hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, and never miss an episode. And you can find tons and tons of great sports content over at DeanBlundell.com. Ray Sports Rant comes almost every single day across the Dean Blundell Network on YouTube, and you can download the audio podcast on, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Castro, and wherever you get your podcasts, including DeanBlundell.com. Follow me on Twitter at DPN underscore Ray. And uh, the time for talking, I guess, has started because it's showtime. What's going on, everybody? You know, when I decided to address the CFL at the beginning of the podcast, I really didn't think that it was going to turn into like a seven-minute rant. And I, like I said at the beginning, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to tear down the Canadian Football League or tear down the athletes who participate in that league on a day-to-day basis and season-to-season basis before they go back to their regular jobs like delivering pizza or whatever they do because they don't get paid to play in the CFL. But the Argo fans have just been whining and whining. And then I got PR guys and content creators like who work for the BC Lions calling me out on Twitter and then getting in my DMs, making fun of the MLS, thinking that the disparity between MLS and like the EPL is the same as the disparity between the CFL and the NFL. I would probably guarantee you that an XFL team would come down and smack around most of the CFL teams because those guys playing in the XFL are better than the guys that are playing in the CFL and they'll probably make more money. Anyways, you did it. Argo fans, 50% of the city of Toronto wouldn't notice if the Argos left. How does that feel? Let's get into uh, today's subjects. Want to talk a little bit of Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, we're going to talk about Bo Bichette because, like, what a, what a kid he is. And uh, I'm going to give my picks for this week's uh, NFL Week One games. And I got it. I do. I do. I want to finish off a little bit of Bayern Munich talk because they tied today, and I'm I'm pissed off. And uh, I'll end the show with that so that most of you don't have to sit through this. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go just so for those of you who want to maybe skip through and. Uh, I'm going to start with Bo Bichette. I'm going to go to the Leafs, and I'm going to go to my NFL picks. I'm going to finish off with some Bundesliga. All right? Bo Bichette has been just a a giant for the Blue Jays the last week. And it's really funny, too, because he was kind of coming off a really bad slump. And I had written a piece being like, hey, let's, let's be patient with the Blue Jays. They're not the team we thought they were. I've been saying that this team has been overhyped since, you know, before the season started. I interviewed Casey Stern last week. He's like, listen, Bo Bichette is 24 years old. Look at what happened to Aaron Judge. He needs to, you know, he may need a couple of years to kind of come out of this. He'll be fine. And then it's like, it was almost like we were teeing it up for Bo Bichette just to go fucking crazy across Major League Baseball. Let's look at this quickly. It came from Nick Ashburn of Sportsnet that said, Bichette's hot streak is unsustainable, but it shows how special a player he can be. Here's, here's an excerpt of what he wrote. He said, the more interesting component of Bichette's hot streak is the components of that he might be able to carry forward, and that begins with his approach. Bichette's world-beating stretch has served a powerful reminder that his aggression can be a strength rather than a weakness. Although he worked the long odd at long at bat, every home run he hit came on the first or second pitch of a plate appearance. 
in a four-game span between Friday and Monday, he hit half of his 2022 first-pitch home runs. Doing damage in OO counts has been a Bichette trademark. And that can be a problem from time to time, and it's been pointed out by Toronto Blue Jay fans, and I'll admit that. When it's not working, when you have guys on base and you're swinging for the fences and you're swinging at bad pitches because you want to be aggressive at the plate, it can become a problem. The Blue Jays beat the Texas Rangers Friday night, but a lot of people pointed out to me today when I was like, hey, the Blue Jays won again. They're like, yeah, but man, they got to start manufacturing runs. It's getting gross. Leaving guys on third base with one out and you're striking out. And it's true. Small ball is absolutely important. You cannot win the World Series on home runs alone. The New York Yankees have been the shining example of that for years. But I want to keep this focused on Bo Bichette because he's just been on a magical run, so why wouldn't we? I mean, Bo Bichette has been doing so well that it's it's kind of taken me off my focus that I've had on George Springer, who I still believe is the backbone of the Toronto Blue Jays. And if they were going to win the World Series, it was going to be because of George Springer. But I think it was like last week, I wrote an article about the people who at the trade deadline were screaming about trade Bo Bichette. And now they're screaming like, Bo Bichette's the best in the world. Uh, he's not the best in the world, and it's not sustainable. We cannot expect Bo Bichette. I mean, he's on pace right now. If this was an entire season and it was April, he'd be on pace to hit, like, what, like 148 home runs? I just made that number up, but I think it's pretty close to that, four and five games, right? So let's not pretend for a second here that he's going to have that kind of sustainability going forward, but... I agree. I think that what we're going to get with Bo Bichette is hot bow and cold bow. And cold bow is going to be frustrating at times, but you expect the rest of this Blue Jays lineup that has, you know, Chapman and Vladdy and Guriel and Springer. Like you expect them to kind of make up for Bo Bichette. I haven't been disappointed in anything Bichette has done for the Blue Jays. If anything, I've been maybe a little bit disappointed with how, say, Kevin Biggio has progressed as a player. And how great was it the other night when they were screaming, Greg or Craig was better, Craig was better. And then Kevin just like cranks a home run over the fence. Like, I love player karma, like when players shut fans up. Sometimes it's towards my team. Sometimes it's towards the other team. But like, I just love when it happens. So I, I, I always notice that kind of stuff because I just think it's, it's absolutely fantastic. But yeah, so I mean, I love the Bichette aggressiveness. And I'm going to kind of agree with Ashburn here that it doesn't have to be a weakness. I think that the Blue Jays can allow Bichette to continue taking that same approach at the plate and know that from time to time it's not going to work. But build the roster so that they can back him up. And when it does work, he's going to get you these home runs and he's almost going to guarantee you one run a night when he's hot. And I want to just throw out another shout out to Danny Jansen, who was the hero Friday night again. And I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago on DeanBundell.com and said if the Blue Jays are going to win the World Series, which I don't think they are, but if they were going to win the World Series, well, you know, the bottom of the lineup needs to get it done from time to time. And uh, this is like, I think, 
twice in two weeks or twice in three weeks that Jansen's been the hero of a game. So good on you, Danny. Keep that going. Let's get into a little bit of Maple Leaf talk, shall we? Uh, this article comes from the Toronto Sun. Yes, the Toronto Sun. Uh, Terry, Terry Koshin, who wrote, goaltending is the biggest question mark for the Maple Leafs with camp around the corner. Here's a little excerpt of a, what I actually was a pretty good article. He wrote, when the club has a lineup that boasts Austin Matthews, who further cemented his superstar status in the National Hockey League last season when he scored 30 goals and won the Hart Trophy and Ted Lindsay Award and one of the top wingers in the NHL and Mitch Marner, there's a one-two forward punch that is the envy of most teams in the NHL. Now, overall, it's a solid group that has been built by general manager Kyle Dubas, one that has the potential to make another run at the Atlantic Division title during the regular season. Nothing carries more importance to the Leafs than how the goaltending situation will play out. Dubas is tying his future of his job to Matt Murray and Eli Samsonov, two veteran netminders who have everything to prove. Okay, so first of all, for anybody who has never listened to the Ray, uh, Ray Sports Ramp podcast before, I fully admit, I am just starting to get back into the ice game and not because I want to, and not because I'm a fan of hockey, but because it kind of goes with the territory sports director, general sports guy. I interview hockey guys on the podcast. I got to know a little bit of something about what I'm talking about. So I've been watching highlights from last season. I've been doing my homework, reading the articles, talking to Griff. Griff is a, a writer and a podcaster for the Dean Bundell network. He's going to be on the show Monday. We're going to be interviewing him about the NHL. So I'm learning. But I don't need to know anything about hockey to tell you that I know how important goaltending is. First of all, I was a goalie when I played hockey. Not a good one. Never played. I think I played like I played one year of rep. Played Red House League, which was kind of like all-star. We go to like single-A tournaments and that kind of thing. I wasn't a great goalie. And uh, my team was let down because of me sometimes. And what I do know about the Leafs is there's a lot of complaints around their goaltending. Uh, a lot of people believe that they probably could have had a, a more success in, in their runs if they would have had better goaltending. And I guess I don't disagree. I don't agree. I'm gonna, I don't agree either. I don't know. I don't really know who Matt Murray or Samsonov is either. I just, I've done a little bit of research on them. I've watched some of their tapes. They look like two guys that I think at one point in time, like look like they're having successful careers. Got a couple cups in one, but they've kind of just like, they've been like the, the last, you know, year or two. And uh, it, I mean, it's a big risk by Dubis, right? Because you've, you've put on the ice, one of the best lineups in the NHL. Austin Matthews is one of the best players in the NHL. I love listening to the hockey pucks argue about Connor McDavid and Matthews. And I just, I don't know. I find it interesting that the Leafs have decided just to go this route with the goaltending. Cause you look at a team like say the Montreal Canadians who, you know, though they came dead last last year, they were in the Stanley cup final the year before, and they kind of put out a, a, an okay team, but put out one of the best goalies in the world in Carey price. Like they took the exact opposite approach. I don't think that Murray or Samsonov, whoever ends up getting the starting job or if they split time, whatever it means, I don't think either of them need to win the Vesna trophy for the least to win the cup. But 
they're going to need to come through because I don't know. I don't know. For me, I don't know if Leafs fans can stomach another season of say first round knockouts in the playoffs. And I don't think that they could stomach it being because of the goaltending. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is Saturday night before week one of the NFL season. We were treated to an absolute gem on Thursday between the Buffalo Bills and the LA Rams. 31-10 for the Bills. The Bills could have won 72 to nothing. Such a great game. 10-10 at halftime. And I tweeted out that the Rams are going to be happy with a tie. The Bills got to be kicking themselves. Bills got some stuff to clean up. I've seen a lot of people talking about how perfect of a game the Buffalo Bills played. They had four turnovers. I think that you got to clean that up. Somebody's going to make you pay for that. Anyways, there's a whole slate of games to play on Sunday and then, of course, Monday night. So I'm going to go through my picks. And I'm going to do it both from a point spread perspective and a straight pick them. So the Philadelphia Eagles are traveling to Detroit to face the Lions. Eagles are five and a half point favorites. I'm going to take the Lions on the point spread, and I'm also taking the Lions straight up. I actually like both the Lions and the Eagles this year. I think the Eagles could win the NFC East, and I think the Lions could compete for a playoff spot. I think they're going to be much improved. I think Jared Goff's an underrated quarterback. I think it's going to be at home in Detroit. I I have bought into the hard knocks train. I am the prisoner of the moment with Dan Campbell. I like the Lions. I'm going forward with them. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts are seven-point favorites traveling to Houston to take on the Texans. I am taking the Texans with the point spread, and I'm taking uh, Indy straight up because I want to put out that, A, the last couple of seasons, Indy has not looked good on the first game of the season. They have not looked good against divisional opponents on the first game of the season. I still think they're going to win the game. I think Matt Ryan's going to be better for this team than Carson Wentz was, but it's going to be a divisional game. I'm not laying seven points. On Indy, I'm taking Houston with the points, Indy straight up. Then we got a pick em game. We've got the Jacoby Brissett-led Cleveland Browns heading to Carolina to take the on the Baker Mayfield-led Cal, California, Carolina Panthers. It's a pick em game. So this is just a game you're going to go straight up. I think Baker Mayfield wants to make a statement. You've got a healthy Christian McCaffrey. Well, not really. He's been on the injury report, but he's going to play. You got Christian McCaffrey. I'm I'm taking straight up. I'm taking the Panthers. The San Francisco 49ers, six and a half point favors against the Chicago Bears in Chicago at Soldier Field. Trey Lance given the nod, anointed as starter for the 49ers. I'm still I'm taking the 49ers both straight up and with the and with the points. I like both. I don't like the Bears. I don't like their defense. I don't like Justin. I don't like what they're doing with Justin Fields. I don't like the team they put around him. They've lost one of their best receivers, who was the Patriots' worst receiver last year, and Nikhil Harry. I'm taking the San Francisco 49ers the whole way around. Then you got an interesting game. you got the Jacksonville Jaguars taking on the Washington Commanders. The Commanders are three-point favorites at home. This is pretty much a pick em, even at a three-point favorite. I'm taking Washington for the points, and I'm taking Washington to win but I don't feel confident in this game. If I didn't have to lay down money, I probably wouldn't lay money on this game, but I do because that's what I do. I'm a degenerate gambler. I'm going to take Washington. Then I have my new England Patriots traveling down to the dreaded city of Miami to take on two Tanga Viola, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. And those wrestles, Miami dolphins. 
Mac Jones, hoping to have a great season after his great rookie season. Dolphins are three and a half point favorites. I'm taking the Patriots to to win the game straight up, which means the Dolphins won't cover. I think there's been a lot of negative connotation around the Patriots this year. I think that they could have beat Miami on the first game of the year last season and a Damien Harris fumble ruined that. I think there's a lot of hype around Miami. I think one team's going to surprise, one team's going to disappoint. I'm taking the Patriots to beat the Dolphins. The Pittsburgh Steelers are heading to Cincinnati. No Ben Roethlisberger for Pittsburgh. Joe Burrow for the Bengals, I believe, right? Seven-point favorites in Cincy at home. I'm taking Cincy to win the game straight up, but I'm taking the Steelers on the points. I think it's going to be a three-point game. Maybe. It's either going to be a three-point game or a blowout where, where the Bengals just beat up on them. Like I can't see this game being like only a seven-and-a-half or an eight-point game. But it's a divisional game, and I'm gonna I'm gonna have to I want to I'm gonna take Pittsburgh with the points. I just can't lay down seven points. I hate laying down that many points. I'm gonna take Pittsburgh on the points. You got the Ravens that are six and a half point favorites traveling to New York. Well, actually traveling to New Jersey to take on the New York Jets. No Zach Wilson. Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl with the Ravens, facing his old team. Lamar Jackson didn't get a contract on Friday. He wants to show Baltimore that maybe they fucked up. I'm taking Baltimore straight up, and I'm taking Baltimore on the picks. I think that they're going to lay a beating on the Jets. I'll lay down six and a half in that game. You got the New Orleans Saints taking on divisional rival Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons do no longer have Matt Ryan. They don't have Julio Jones. The Saints have Jameis Winston. They got Michael Thomas back, Alvin Kamara. They got a great defense. Uh, on my pick, it's getting NA, but I've looked it up somewhere else, and there are five. And, the Saints are five-and-a-half-point favorites going down to uh to atlanta's home i think they're gonna or i guess up to georgia from louisiana i'm taking the saints across the board i'm taking them to cover five and a half i'm taking them to win straight up i like the saints this year they're my pick coming out of the nfc i've got the bills and the saints in the super bowl so i gotta go with that um i've got the kansas city chiefs going down to arizona to take on the cardinals no deandre hopkins for arizona obviously no tyreek hill for the Kansas City Chiefs because he's in Miami now, but they got uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, still got Travis Kelsey, and they got that kid Patrick Mahomes, who I heard is pretty good. Uh, the Chiefs are a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm taking the Chiefs to cover. I'm taking the Chiefs to win. So I'm picking a lot of covers today. Then you got the New York Giants traveling to Tennessee to take on the the, the leaders of the AFC last year, won the AFC, got knocked out in the, in the divisional round, taking on Matt Ryan and the Titans. The Titans are five-and-a-half-point favorites. I'm taking the Titans straight up, and I'm taking the Titans to cover the spread because I think Derrick Henry's going to run all over the Giants. Uh, the Giants are a mess. Then we got the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers without Devontae Adams going on to take on Kirk Cousins and his squad in Minnesota in the Dome. Uh, the, the Packers are one-point favorites, so it's a tough game. They're a one-point favorite on the road against a divisional rival. I'm taking the Vikings straight up. I'm calling the quote-unquote upset. I like the Vikings. I think the Vikings could try to challenge Green Bay for the division this year. I'm taking, I'm taking Green Bay. You got the Raiders and the Chargers. Raiders got a new head coach and Josh McDaniels. They got Devonte Adams, the chargers brought in JC Jackson as a defender. One of the best teams in, you know, one of the best teams in the AFC West, maybe one of the best teams in the league. Uh, it's not giving me the point spreads right now. I think I had it yesterday. I don't have it now. 
I'm taking the Raiders. I got the Raiders winning the AFC West this year. I think they're going to beat them. Not sure what the spread is, so I can't help you there, but I can tell you straight up, I think it's going to be the Raiders. Then you got the uh, Sunday night football game, and it's a doozy. Tom Brady traveling to Dallas to take on Dak Prescott. Bucks, Cowboys, Bucks, two and a half point favorites. Brady trying to play without an offensive line. He brought in Julio Jones. You still got Mike Evans. No Rob Gronkowski. Dak still has Zeke, still has Pollard. No Amari Cooper. Got Michael Gallup. Got the next Lawrence Taylor in the backfield and Micah Parsons. I'm taking Dallas to win straight up, so they're going to cover the spread. No no disrespect to Brady either. This is me being a Brady heater. I just I like Dallas in this game. I like them at home. I think the matchup is better. I think, unfortunately, for Brady, there's too much talent on the, on the Dallas side of the ball for him to get a lot of movement done with how weak that offensive line is going to be for the Bucs. Uh, I'm really thinking Brady might regret coming out of retirement because of that O-line. And then you got the uh, the Monday Nighter. You got the Denver Broncos led by Russell Wilson traveling to take on the 12 men in Seattle against the Seahawks. Denver, six and a half point favorites in that game. I've been telling everybody all week, watch out because this could be a game that Seattle sticks it to Russell Wilson, but that's not going to happen. I'm taking the Seahawks, but I'm not taking them to cover. I think it's going to be a three-point game. I think Seattle's going to play tough. They're not going to want to be embarrassed by Russ at home. They're going to have a message to send. I think it could be a tight game. I don't have Denver covering six and a half, but I have them winning straight up. And uh, I've run out of time, so I can't get into my whole Bayern Munich Julian Nagelsmann thing. Let's just put it this way. I think that he's a problem for Bayern, and they're going to be in a lot of trouble. All right. Shades off, hat around, back to normal. And that's it, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the podcast today. Always appreciate you guys coming in. Thanks, everybody. Make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you subscribe. Never miss an episode. Find it on YouTube. Find it across the Dean Blundell Network. Follow me on Twitter at DPN underscore Ray. Download the Ray Sports Ramp podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Castro, Google Podcasts, and DeanBlundell.com. Don't forget, you can find tons and tons of great sports content over at teambundell.com, not just mine. Hashtag sports, Griff, a bunch of people. And if you don't want sports, man, there's other shit there too, so you might like it. Uh, that's it. I'm done for today. Happy Saturday. Enjoy the TFC game tonight. I'll probably talk about that. Enjoy the Leaf game or the Jays game. I'll talk about that. Enjoy your Sunday. I will be back at some point tomorrow. And uh, never forget, you're all legit kid. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. 
Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. <laughs>